Well, we are coming to, <clears throat> excuse me, the back end of uh, our Serve campaign. It's what we do every summer uh, when we uh, pause to invite the body to step into Serve in the upcoming year. And um, I, you know, I don't know what more uh, we could do. And I'm so proud of the communications team and others who've put these videos together. We've talked about this over the, these last few weeks. And I truly trust Christ in you that as we're trying to present to you uh, the, the value of service biblically, that uh, there is so much benefit in serving, that there's life in serving, that there's belonging in serving, that you would respond to that. And also, and I'm speaking to those of you who, who are members of fellowship, that, that we embrace our mission and we understand that we're here, not just for ourselves, but for others. We'll talk about that in the message in just a moment. So uh, let me exhort you once again, uh, we will be kicking off this new calendar year here the 1st of August. And I want to encourage you, just, just sign up on the, on the website and let someone talk to you about a possible place that you can serve. It is essential in the journey of faith. And it's really what following Jesus looks like. And again, that doesn't mean everybody has to serve, but if it's your turn, it's your time, then I wanna encourage you to do that. Let's make sure we've got our learning centers covered, Bible studies, other ministries covered with us. And that takes us to another announcement we've been talking about this summer, and that is our new service times. So you're gonna see these pop up on here. And you know, if you've been at Brentwood for a while, you know we've been at three services at Brentwood all the way to before COVID. And so now we're needing to go back to those three service times. Um, it is, uh, again, I'll go to our mission. You know, we're not here for ourselves. And so if you look around this room right now, this is, you know, the 1045 service. It's the second of, of two services. This room is over 80% filled. It's July 23rd. A third of the people who call Fellowship Home are, are still traveling gone, even as many of you have. And so come August, then it, it, we'll be asking you to scoot in, et cetera, et cetera. And so our heart, because it's God's heart, is to make room for those who he entrusts to us to help them follow Christ. And that means we need to make space. And so I want you to think about it this way. And I've done this for, so you have done it. But if you look up here and you go, okay, if someone's new to fellowship, what service are they most likely to attend on that? Which one? Ninth of Rive. You're right. And we've done these surveys and, and it really is, that, that, that's the one. And so, you know, you all are kind of at the 1110 service right now. Does that make sense? You know, you're at the back end. And so I want to encourage you to either stay here if, if, if you need to. And, and here's one of the reasons you would need to be in, in this service. Because you served at the last service. <laughs> See, that's how it works. I mean, it's like people that are in this service, they served the last service. So this is the service they're gonna attend, you know, if they go to eight. So either serving there or make the jump to eight. And you're going, Lord, we're at the late service now. What are you talking about? Go to eight o'clock. Uh, I'm just telling you, 9.35 is off limits, you know? That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Uh, to us, but um, again, we want, we, want, we want to be in a position to welcome those who, are gonna, who God's going to bring our way that we get to walk with in faith. So uh, let me encourage you in that. I'm going to pray for a group of people who just headed out this week to Peru. 
and I'm gonna ask you to join me. And I'm looking at some of your faces out here and I'm looking going, you've been, because so many have been on this trip over the last 20 years in our partnership with our church in Comas, Peru. And I'm looking at some of you who were in middle school or high school when you went and now you're grown up. <laughs> that's, that's what's happened over the years. So this team goes down, uh, they went down 21st to the 31st. I want us to join to pray with them, fruitfulness, God's faithfulness, life transformation, the extending of God's kingdom through them. So join with me, let's pray for them. Lord, thank you so much for these men and women who have <clears throat> chosen to take part of their summer and invest it in the lives of others in this way. We are so grateful for the long-term partnership we have with the church in Comus. And that so many of us in this room, myself included, and all three of our, me and Lisa's kids can say, we've, we've been there. We've experienced your work in that place. We pray that for this team. Would you so use them that they gain a greater vision of you and of your work and your kingdom? We pray that the fruit that's produced through them would remain, would multiply, and that they would come back changed themselves and as they walk amongst us, Lord, their influence and your change in their hearts would shape our own. Be lifted up through them, Lord Jesus, we ask in your name, amen. <clears throat> Let's take our Bibles and open them to John chapter 12. I'm gonna move really quickly because uh, we've got a huge chunk of text that we're covering today. It's verses 20 through 50, John chapter 12. 12. Rob last week took 1 through 19. That was all about the responses to Lazarus's resurrection. Mary, of course, had the proper response. Unhindered worship. <laughs> she poured herself out in worship. We're going to hit these words today, and it's like we move, uh, we move from, from that text into what I would consider some of Jesus's hardest words in the Gospels. Um, they are, I'm gonna look, look at me for a minute. They are his last words so that you hear me on this. They're not his final words he says, but they are his last words in this way. They are his last public ministry words. So, so when we finish our text today, Jesus, when Jesus, Jesus finishes speaking today, he won't speak again to the public, okay? They won't hear from him again till chapter 18 when he's arrested, and he goes through his passion week. And so like all final words, these are so weighty, so significant. I don't think we'll <clears throat> feel the weight of them, quite honestly, if we don't feel some sense of how they hit the disciples. And so I, I just wanna set us up in this way. The triumphal entry is called the triumphal entry because at, at, at the surface level, it was triumphant. It was a celebration. And think about the disciples walking with Jesus for three and a half years. Every time the crowds kind of got going, you know, and they had the nationalistic fervor in them, quite frankly. When the crowds got going, it was like Jesus said, pull the plug, go home, leave. You know, it's like every time we got some momentum, Jesus dispels it. 
But now we come to the triumphal entry, and you talk about momentum, at least from an outward, worldly perspective. You know, they're cheering, they're clapping, they're laying palm branches down. It's like, oh my gosh, the fervor is rising. And, and for the disciples, at some level, and we know this even from their responses later, it's like for them, it's got to be like, yes, you know, it's like it's happening, it's happening. And then when Jesus says is happening, what he, when, he, when he talks about what's happening, really, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's like, there are expectations here. It's like, here's the spiritual reality. Turns their world upside down. I trust it's going to do the same for us. Because only when these words do truly kind of turn our world upside down are we prepared to live the life that we were made for, that he wants for us. It's a long section. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do two things here. First, I'm gonna go through the sections <clears throat> pretty quickly, and I'm gonna give it a word. I'm just gonna give it one word, okay, that section. <clears throat> We're gonna end up with three words. And then I'm gonna double back around and I'm gonna take that word and I'm gonna put it in a sentence that, that gets at the, the heart of, of what, what it means, what the text means, and what it means to us, okay? With that, let's begin God's word for us today. I'm gonna start in verses 20 to 26. <clears throat> we read, now among those who went up to worship this Passover feast in Jerusalem, at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Philip went and told Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, Andrew told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat <clears throat> falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will <clears throat> honor him. The coming of these Greeks uh, to Jesus was like an alarm clock. Jesus, these Greeks want to see you. And it's like, ding! It's like it went off in his mind. The hour has come. Chapter two, verse four was the, <clears throat> was the first sign. It was the wedding to Cana. And you'll remember that Jesus' mother came to him and said, do something, basically, you know, paraphrase. And he said there, my hour has not yet come. Seven, chapter 7, verse 30, the leaders try to arrest him. Text says, no one laid a hand on him for his hour had not yet come. Chapter 8, verse 20, he's in the uh, temple. <clears throat> Boy, he gets the religious leaders riled up and they come after him. It says, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So what is it about the Greeks coming to see him <clears throat> that makes him say, my hour's here. You gotta think, we gotta think biblically, uh, you gotta think whole context of the Bible on this. When we do, we understand that, you know, God, 
God made a promise to a man and really God's, the plan of redemption God promised would come through this man Abraham in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12. And so God said to this man Abraham, through you I'm gonna give, I'm, I'm gonna give you a land, I'm gonna make a people through you, land and nation, and, and through you the whole world's gonna be blessed. This is the Abrahamic covenant. And so the story of redemption is that working itself out. And so when we come to this, it's so subtle, but these Greeks are coming to Jesus. And you understand in John's gospel, no non-Jew has come to him yet. This is the first non-Jew coming to see Jesus. And Jesus sees that as what? as fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant in him. Now it'll be secured by his life, death, and resurrection, which is what kicks this in. Look at the text again, look at verse 19. The Pharisees actually got it right. <clears throat> so the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Abrahamic covenant. Jesus says, my hour is at hand when the son of man is to be glorified. Think about what we said earlier, the expectations of the disciples, I think were off the charts. <clears throat> when Jesus says the hour, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified, I, I, I do think for them it was, it was yes, <laughs> you know, okay. I suspect they were ready for fireworks in a way, you know, in our mind's eye. But here's where Jesus takes them to the graduate school of discipleship, and it's where he takes us. I mean, what is Jesus talking about when he says this? Well, we, we just look at the text, and it, it tells us. He begins to describe a grain of wheat that dies. He says it twice. It dies. He speaks of a man who loses his life. <clears throat> We're going to get there in a moment, but I want you to see verse 33 when he spoke of his, himself being crucified. He said, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. <laughs> in other words, y'all, it's all we need to hold for now. His hour is about his death. What they don't understand yet, and what you and I are going to understand now, is it's about their death too. So on this first section, okay, just the 22 to 20, or 20 to 26, just put the word death, just the word death. Then verse 27, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. <laughs> and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now, I don't fully grasp this, but the audience actually knew he meant his death when he said that. John gives us the, you know, the commentary, <clears throat> but look at 34. So the crowd answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. Christ, the Messiah won't die. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you 
for a little while, while, for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. <clears throat> We've already noted that the hour, you know, the hour is his death. But what's the, what's the purpose behind the hour? Why that? Why the death? Why the hour? It's not hard to it's 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 not hard to see in a sense if you look at 27 and 28 again just, just I'll emphasize it <clears throat> now is my soul troubled there's his humanity there's his distress at what's coming and what shall I say father save me from this hour <clears throat> but for this purpose I have come to to this hour what purpose father glorify your name and a voice came from heaven, I've glorified it and will glorify it again. The voice of the Father, only three times we note in uh, the Bible where the Father speaks to the Son. Here's the third one. <clears throat> I have glorified it, i.e. the works that we've been walking with Jesus, all the things he's done, all the things he says are, are, are glorifying the Father, are revealing the Father. And he says, and I will glorify it again, i.e., we now know he's speaking of the crucifixion and the cross and the death of Christ. We'll speak more about this in a moment. <clears throat> he's speaking of his purpose in coming. It's to glorify the Father. So this, this, here's the word, no shocker. First word was death. I just want to put this word on this section, <clears throat> glory, glory. And then we come to the last section, 37 through 50. I'm gonna pick up the back end of verse 36. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself, hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This is Isaiah 53. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, Isaiah 6, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. I find it fascinating that Isaiah looked forward and saw his glory, his death. And you speak to it when you read Isaiah 53. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but it was a shallow belief. <clears throat> but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, here's the last public words, so the public proclaiming words to the, <clears throat> to the crowds. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word, 
that I have spoken will judge him on, that last, on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. I think we can say, having journeyed with John, that these words from the prophet Isaiah come as no surprise. I'm going to summarize it this way. Unbelief is the default mode of the fallen heart. I mean, unbelief is, is, a fall, is the fallen heart's default mode, will not believe. It's a reminder to us, we talked a lot about sovereignty and salvation and God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. I'll just summarize it in this way. <laughs> you know, it's God's grace that opens eyes, <laughs> that enables faith. I also don't think we'd be surprised at these words as he ends public ministry. I mean, he's just returning to familiar themes. Believe in me. Have we heard that before? <laughs> Believe in me that you may not remain in darkness, but be in the light. We've heard that before. Hear my words and keep them. Receive my words. What I'm, what I'm saying, God is saying to me. You see, it's just familiar themes he's revisiting. When Jesus says the one who rejects him has a judge, he, he means this. Uh, there is coming a day when all will give an account to God. And it will not be, it will not be, you know, when you give an account to God, it will not be, uh, you know, you, you know I, I couldn't, I just couldn't figure out how you created the world in seven literal days. So I didn't believe in you. It's not anything along those lines. It's not, I could never figure out how there could be God and evil and those things. And I, these are real questions. I'm not trying to mock them. I'm just saying it won't be those, we don't give an account for what we did with that. We're gonna give an account for what we did with this man named Jesus who historically lived 2,000 years ago, <clears throat> that is undeniable, who was crucified and buried, undeniable, and rose from the grave. Now, you and I say undeniable. Others would say no. But the evidence for his, his resurrection is, I mean, it, it would stand up in a court of law way more than a lot of other evidence. I mean, the evidence is of his resurrection. So, so when we stand before and give an account, it's just get this, it's gonna be, what'd you, do with G what'd you do with my son, Jesus? And what's gonna judge you? You know, what's gonna judge you is the words and works that Jesus did. Because he kept saying, believe in me. I and the Father are one, <laughs> you know, trust me. That's what will judge you. Six times, in his final words, Jesus calls for his listeners to believe in him. John's the gospel of belief. You all know, we all, we've, we've talked about this a lot. He uses the word believe over a hundred times. Uh, that's over half of the total usage in the New Testament. He's, he's just calling us to believe. And so on this section, I would like you to put the word belief. So now we've got three words, death, glory, and belief. So now let's take each word and let's put it in a statement that, ex that explains and unpacks that text. 
shows us why it matters and how it applies to us. I'm gonna put these on the screen so you'll have them. <laughs> Here's the first one. Only in death is life. Only in death is life. When Jesus says the hour has come, the, di the disciples are thinking life. And Jesus is thinking death. Why? Because only in death is life. Only in death is life. What a paradox. Certainly maybe life's ultimate paradox. It, 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 you know, when you go, wait, only in death is life. I mean, it just contradicts everything we're taught. Can we say that? Everything the world would say, everything the values of the world would say, wait, death? I mean, no, no, it's not about death. It's not about death. It's about living, man. I mean, no, only in death is life. Jesus gives an agrarian illustration to an agrarian audience. Thank goodness this is one that we get. Like, you know what I mean? I think everybody in the room understands what a seed is, you know, and what happens to a seed. I, I get tickled at this because I, I kind of think of it like if these seeds <coughs> could speak, what would they say? And, and I went, oh, you know, that sounds like a prequel to VeggieTales. Like, let's do the prequel. You know, like before you were a celery, you were a seed, man. And here's the story. And, and the story, I think, in a silly way would go something like this. If a seed had a mind, I assume it would be thinking it is so wet and dark and stinky in here, in the dirt. If it had emotions, I assume it would be confused and scared, maybe angry. If it had a will, if it had, or if it had desires, my guess is it would long for the life it had, dry and hard and solid. And if it had a will, I think it would jump right out of the ground. <clears throat> now I'm doing it that way because I go, so Jesus is actually talking about a person, a human being dying. You think about the seed when it goes in the ground. Again, this is Disney-esque, but <clears throat> you know, that's like, oh my gosh, my, you're, that seed's outer shells crumbling away. What that seed was is dissolving and it's no longer what it was and it's expanding and it's changing, it's being transformed. It's a violent process, honestly. When you watch, you know, uh, speed up fast film, you know, you watch a seed go, you know, it's like, whoa, my gosh, what just happened? Seed is no longer what it was. Now here, here's, here's what I want you to think about. Is that seed now less than it was when it was a seed? Or is it more than it was when it was a seed? What is it? It's so much more. We can't, we can't even get our head around how much more it is. According to Jesus, only by death comes life. But see, in our minds, we think death is less. Jesus says death is the path to more. <clears throat> to hate your life's a relative term. You know, it's, it's, it's a statement of priority. Jesus is saying is you must have something first, something else first. 
something else more important than your life, than your own life? You see, and the person who doesn't understand this ultimate paradox is the person who loves and gives greater priority to their own life, believing that, you know, it's what I get in my life that makes my life. So to, 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 to hate your life is, is, is simply say that you love something else so much more that it makes it look like you hate your life. Are you with me on this? I want you to notice how <clears throat> this is connected to glory. And this is in the second statement. <clears throat> Only in the cross is glory. Glory. Jesus says, my purpose is to glorify the Father. No higher calling, no higher purpose. <clears throat> if we are a people who are going to follow Jesus and his purpose is the glory of the Father, then that means our purpose would be the same. The word glory here is doxa. It's, it, it means radiance and, spl and splendor in the, in the Greek. But the original, in the Hebrew, <clears throat> the word was kabod, kabod. And really, the, when, when it's used early in, in, in the Old Testament, kabod meant weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. Kabod meant heavy, like that's a mass, you know, that's a boulder. That thing's got some stuff. That was glory. And so when we think of glory today, it, 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 it still carries that. It's not literal pounds, but it's literal significance. Like glory is to matter. And when, when we understand that, I hope we get this, that every human being is made for glory. This is not like, no, no, Lord, we're not, we're to be nothing. We're to be small. No, 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 no. God has, has made every human being for glory, for weightiness, for significance. I mean, it's, it's hardwired in us as image bearers of the Father. Now, of course, the problem is we go about, we go about getting the glory the wrong way. And what Jesus is talking about here. <laughs> is the right path to the glory that God calls us to, invites us to, y'all that we were made for, the weightiness of a life. <clears throat> Helps us make sense of the paradox because if this is true, and our life as Jesus's life is not about himself, but it's about the Father's glory the only place we can be freed from you know, our selfishness is the cross. <laughs> and that's death. Lindsay read it earlier. Paul agreed, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. <laughs> the world says pursue glory and invites us to follow you know, dreams to success. And... <clears throat> That's, o that's okay. But God says pursue glory and invites us to follow Jesus to the cross. 
Look again at what John says of those who believe, but, but it was a shallow belief. They didn't, they, they didn't public, publicly profess Christ. Verse 43 says, they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. See, when we pursue our own glory, when we, when we seek to make our own life significant, you know, and you know, it's, it's in us, we're gonna seek to matter. That's God-given. When we pursue it, the wrong way and we pursue it for ourselves, it's measured by what others say about us. It's, it's measured by how do I measure up to so-and-so, um, more. <clears throat> but when we pursue God's glory, we're measured by what God says and what God sees. Here's the real paradox. When we live for our own glory, we're actually diminishing ourselves. That's what's so crazy. <clears throat> I want you to picture in your mind now someone you know who, you know, you just look at it and they, they live for their own glory. And I think a reasonable person steps back and says, they're just all air. Because that's the glory of, that's, the, that's human glory, but not biblical but when we, like Jesus, live for God's glory, we actually find our own. Is that crazy? We find our own in living for his. But it comes through death. <laughs> death to glory. I, I, I don't know if there's anything harder that, to choose than to die to yourself. Now, when, we, when I keep talking about die to yourself or Jesus says lose your life, he's talking about your self-centeredness. You're living for yourselfness. And hear me when I say this, and, and I could be wrong, but it just strikes me, this is a harder death than death. Because death, you have no choice. But this is calling us to make a choice every day. How many times? Well, I don't know about you, but a couple thousand? I don't, you know what I'm saying? I mean, over and over and over to choose death to myself. I want to make it as practical as I can because the cost is unbelievable. Think about what it cost Jesus. Let's go through the Passion Week, deserted. You know, he was unjustly crucified, betrayed, alone, misunderstood, forsaken. Think about, for, for you and I, I want to make it like, what are you talking about, Lloyd, when you talk about um, die to yourself? Well, I'm actually talking about what Lindsay said. When Lindsay asked the Lord, said, well, is there someone I need to forgive? And I'm like, because she's kind of holding on to that. Like, there's a reason they don't need to be forgiven, you know? That, that's the dying to self. Are you willing to lose an argument? Can you die to being right? You know, are, are you just so confident that your way's the right way that you can't let any other voice speak? Can you ask forgiveness? Can you give it? Can you admit you just don't know? Dying to self, I think of it as a life of repentance. Why? Because I'm constantly challenged to die to myself and I don't and I need to repent. It's a continuous state, state and posture of humility. It's lifting others up at a cost to yourself. It's keeping your mouth shut when you know you just wanted to say, defend it, make it. How in the world do we follow in the footsteps of Jesus like this? Well, that gets to the last word, okay? What was the last word? Belief. 
Here's the statement, only in belief do we see. Only in death is life, only in the cross is glory, only in belief do we see. I could say it this way, only in belief do we experience, this is so key, do we experience the fullness and fruitfulness of Christ, the life of significance that we were made for. We've been through this in John so many times, so I'm just summarizing it this way. John, when he speaks of belief, y'all, it's, it's never just an intellectual profession assent. It is a belief that trusts in something, trusts in the stage I'm standing on, takes a step of faith. You can't separate biblical belief from biblical obedience. So this is what he's talking about when he says, believe in me. <clears throat> I love the way John finishes the story. Look at verse Verse, well, actually, verse 20, you don't need to turn, I'm just gonna read it because here's, here's how it began. <clears throat> These Greeks come to Jesus, so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. We, we wanna see Jesus, beginning of the story. I, I don't, we don't have any record that they actually got a private meeting with him. It's not there. It's like Jesus just starts talking. <laughs> and he's talking some, he's talking this. But then how John frames his story, it ends verse, in a sense, that toward the end in verse 45, Jesus says, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. We all wanna see God and Jesus says, look at me. Believe in me. Trust what I'm saying is true. I want you to close your Bibles and just sit for a moment. I'm gonna leave these three points up on the screen. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back out. <clears throat> and I'm gonna ask you to ask the Spirit. <laughs> I love the way Lindsay introduced this. I'm gonna ask you to ask the Spirit, Lord, what would it look like for me to apply this today? Where are you inviting me to die to myself? God doesn't make us die to ourselves, y'all. He invites us. Why does he invite us? Because in, in that death, oh, is the life that he has for us. It, in death is that life. How do I get that? Believe and trust what he says is true. I'm telling you, the, the, the paradox of this makes no earthly sense. So you can't come to, you can't approach following Jesus and say, well, I, I'm gonna do what makes sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But Jesus said it. And he demonstrated it's true. How? Did he just do it by his words? Think about it. He died. And he rose. And we can trust him. What's God inviting you to die to today? Just sit with that for a moment. The Spirit will lead, even as he led Lindsay that day.
Father, we desperately need your spirit within us to open our eyes, to show us Jesus, that we might see his words and hear them and believe they're true. And in that moment when you invite us to die to ourself for the good of another, for the glory of your name, oh God, grant us the strength and power in the spirit to do so. That we might taste life. Life as you intend. Amen. Let's stand together. Response song. The text. I want to prepare you for it in this way. I am telling you guys, dying to yourself, it's impossible. So so let's not even go, I got to get stronger so I can die to myself. No, you don't. You can't. It's only Christ in us. It is nothing less than a battle, is it not? Listen, some of you, even just in that moment, and even when Lindsay, when you said that thing, I guarantee you there's some of us in the room that are going, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. It's a battle. And we'll surely lose it if we go at it on our own. It's why the gospel's good news. Just listen, the gospel's good news on so many levels. And it's not just, oh my gosh, I'm going to heaven. Good news. No, no, no. The gospel's good news all the time. Because this battle to die to myself, Jesus has already won it. Which is what we'll sing. He's already won it, you see. Because he went to the cross and died and rose again. He was not less because he died. It revealed his glory. And the same is true for you and I in Christ Jesus. We are you all. I'm with you. I'm, you know, I'm, it's me and you. We are all fighting a great battle. But it's a battle already won in Christ. <laughs> we know how the story ends. We'll sing these words. We know how the story ends. Let this be our hope. And let this be our confidence.